Welcome, this is Josh. And Matt. Welcome to the first episode of The Pit Wall. This is a podcast about all things Formula One. We're going to try and cover the weekly news, uh, recap of the race, and implications with some uh, light speculation and colorful commentary. And maybe a few hot takes along the way. Yeah, just a few. So, uh, Matt, who are you? So I'm Matt McGuire. I'm an attorney in Richmond, Virginia, who has been following F1 off and on since I fell in love with Michael Schumacher back in the day when I was in high school and well, actually middle school at that point in time. And I got back into it recently with uh, Netflix's show about F1. Sort of been following it the last couple of years. Josh, how about yourself? Yeah, I think, uh, frankly, uh, Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix has like, pretty much spurred a huge following a, a resurgence of formula one followers because uh, i mean that's basically how i got back into it always been into cars you know especially you know just growing up and watching top gear grand tour all that stuff and then formula one draft to survive just kind of brings you back in and adds a lot of context and stuff well it's just a great show for everybody who's new to it because you can kind of get a little insight into the dynamics of the various teams all the controversy surrounding all the different drivers and sort of all the the bitching that goes on in the background of F1. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, so my name is Josh Klein. I'm uh, your standard government bureaucrat uh, working for DOD here in Richmond, Virginia. Let's give a free plug before we get into it. We're gonna we're drinking beers every week that we do this. This yeah. week we're going to give a shout-out to Rich Brow Brewing here in Richmond, Virginia and the awesome 13 o'clock pumpkin spice latte since we're basic bitches and it's almost fall. It's PSL, baby. Cheers to fall. Cheers. So this week we're going to start out by going through some of the basic news in Formula One and sort of get each other's takes on some topics that we have each found to be interesting over the course of the past week. So the first thing we're going to go through this week, in particular on my end, to kind of get Josh's hot take on, mm -hmm. is going to be the FIA's investigation of Lewis Hamilton's shirt. Because in the multi-billion dollar industry that is F1, the thing that we really need to talk about week in and week out is whether or not the single black driver in the sport, and one of the only black members of the sport, has offended people's sensibilities by wearing a shirt that said, quote, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. And for everybody in the United States, this is probably common news, and maybe even around the world, this is common news. The Louisville Police Department decided to break into a poor woman's home in the middle of the night and blindly fire a whole bunch of shots inside, killing her. So Lewis Hamilton committed the great offense of getting up on the podium and wearing a shirt that said, arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor, and then he turned around, God forbid, this, with the back saying, say her name. And so he made a big deal out of this event, which has been going on for a while, and the FIA had a whole lot to say about it. So Josh, what do you think about the FIA's stance on this? Well, I was actually going to preface this segment with saying we're going to try and stay apolitical, but uh, Matt just went, went off firing on all cylinders, so I uh, love it. Um, Look, I'm here for the <laughs> truth. But yeah, I mean, Hamilton, he's my driver. I love, love him. He's the most humble, generous, top-tier sport athlete uh, we've had in a while, in my opinion. Um, but he's also using his platform like any uh, U.S. people know. NBA is doing it. NFL is doing it. Um, and he's been doing it for weeks. This is yeah, not, I mean, this no, not this news. This is nothing new again. Um, and I think this is the, the arrest the cops uh, phrase is probably what kind of ticked them uh, but, you know, FIA is a bunch of upper white collar, if not upper tier, mild white supremacists. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie Eccleston, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's using his platform to, to do what he can in, in the fight for justice uh, for all these things. So I, I applaud him. The investigation, however, 
I think that was just, there was probably some uproar that they had to do something, and that something is they're going to review and maybe amend some guidelines. So, you know. Who do we think inside F1 was raising all this? Do we think it's just at the top? Do you think it's the other drivers? Um, Oh, it's definitely, I I think it's definitely the other drivers, the ones who come from, um, how should we say, uh, ones with checkered histories towards uh, races and religions. You mean like half of them? Yeah, no, exactly, (laughs) which is why half of them don't kneel. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, huge Charles Leclerc fan. Hard to defend it. Yeah. To, it's, not, it's not a huge gesture there for him and Max and everybody else. Exactly. So, you know, the, the FIA in their in their well vetted stances, they're going to review and amend guidelines for such scenarios for the drivers and you know, that's all right. Yeah, I mean it's important to note too that the current guidelines from the FIA, it's not even clear to me that they apply here. The basic guidelines are that they don't forbid individual expression unless it's discriminatory, which is laughable in this context since the discrimination occurred in the direction that Lewis (laughs) Hamilton is trying to highlight. (laughs) And they outlaw political messaging, which, you know, again, I have no bones about keeping this apolitical. It is what it is. The messaging is don't shoot unarmed black people in the United States. And Lewis clearly cares deeply about that. It's not obvious to me how that's a political message either. Exactly. Um, you know, he's just seeking justice. He's using his platform. So, you know, I applaud him for at least doing something for some greater cause than just sort of, you know, what you might think of a stereotypical multimillionaire Formula One driver might do. You know, live on a yacht in Monaco, party, drink, drive. Uh, so, no, he's, he's doing more. Um I feel like he may, he may be doing some of those things. Yeah, he, and he probably and, is. And he should be. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, what's interesting, I want to get your take on this. So the FIA came out pretty aggressively to say, we're going to investigate this. And there were some leaks that were reported in the press about how Hamilton had clearly violated the rules and there was going to be something done. And then lo and behold, one day later, the FIA comes out and sort of backtracks all of it. Like, actually, there's not much to see here. Maybe our regulations aren't as clear as they should be. We need to update them. We think happened behind the scenes that yeah. led to that quick about face. So I, I think that a lot of people within FIA and just general upper management sort of people in the industry probably is like, hey, this this is pretty extreme. It's true. We don't like it. It's it's an extreme message. We need this has to be against the rules. And then somebody actually did look at the rules and like, oh, we we can't. Oh, oh uh, shit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he's following the rules. Um, so so they they were probably like, okay, let's let's review and amend. Which, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. I mean, you had mentioned to me earlier today something about the BBC and their reporting. Did you read the BBC as saying that they thought that this might have been too close to the guidelines in terms of what the Olympic Charter would allow? So if this had been in the Olympics, clearly Lewis Hamilton would have been chucked out. I mean, that's what we would expect from the IOC. But is that what FIA has said that it's complying with? or? Um, see, I, that's an interesting question. I, I think that the FIA... Well, if they do anything against Hamilton, especially with a message like this, they're going to lose a lot of fans, a lot of money. Hamilton is bringing in tons of money to the organization and to the sport. So he, 
I don't want to say he's untouchable, but he's damn near untouchable for Mercedes, FIA, and Formula One as a sport. I mean, he's certainly been the most dominant driver for the last, I don't know, however long. And this year, it's unparalleled. I mean, nobody can touch him. No. With Ferrari being sort of a dumpster fire. Yeah. I mean, your Red team, Bull. Your poor team. I, I mean, look, I'm a huge Ferrari homer, but it is what it is. It is a dumpster fire currently, <laughs> as much as I might wish otherwise. And then you have Red Bull, which on a given week appears to have one driver alone who's able to compete. Yeah. It's usually Max Verstappen, who's up towards the front, but he has been sort of a disaster recently, or at least yeah. his engineers have. Which we'll get to in the uh, in the race recap, which, hell of a race. So, and then, you know, I think the, yeah, it's related, it's related here, though. I think the next topic of news we wanted to talk a little bit is, about here is Danny Rick. Yeah, Danny Rick's uh, podium snub and uh, his McLaren move. So, Danny Ricardo, racer or driver for Renault, he did an outstanding race for his car for the tier that he's been racing in they've been improving all season this is as close as he got to a podium right? yeah this i mean he had podium he got second he held second for i don't know maybe a lap um <laughs> it was a short it was a short run second but there was a brief two but in yeah front of he, his he broke up the one two mercedes for a little bit um so he kept cool and he was he was really going after it and he had third till late in the race and then albon who pitted for some fresh medium tires, uh, really caught up close to him and then ended up overtaking him. I, I was reading some articles this articles and interviews this week, and uh, Danny Ricardo was saying that he was really, after he got overtaken, he was just trying to force Albon in his um, unseasoned upper <laughs> echelon uh, positions of a race. He was just trying to, trying to make him make a mistake because Albon... Is a little bit of a puss at this stage. Well, he's he young. Has, he, well, he has a history of making mistakes, right? I mean, he's had a couple of duels with Lewis and come out certainly with the worst for the wear in that. Yeah. I mean, he's just done nothing. I mean, exactly. really, I think Alex Albon has sort of been, in a sense, sort of the fraud of F1 since he replaced Pierre Gasly. I mean, Red Bull gave up on Pierre in a hurry last season. Yeah. Man, for reasons that, to, to me, remain kind of unclear. I mean, the yeah. man is clearly talented. You clearly thought he was the right driver for you. He had a few bad races, and you ditched him to promote Alex. And Alex has done essentially nothing. Yeah, he's done nothing. He's he's might have scored a couple points this. So I think he had at least one or two uh, DNFs this season. Um, I mean, he routinely runs five, six, seven spots behind Verstappen, yeah. not in the same league. And you don't see that out of most of the other major teams. Mercedes no. tend to be one-two. When Ferrari wasn't cheating, they were sort of running one-two. <laughs> you know, you see everybody sort of side by side. Exactly. Except for Red Bull. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just one miles ahead of the other. And so, I mean, that's, I was reading a lot this week that it, Albon needed this. His, he's sort of new, sort of young. He, he needed the podium to get his confidence up. And with this confidence, it's going to bring a whole new chapter in his racing career. And I'm just like, ah, oh, is it though? I don't think so. I don't think so I'm either. I, I mean, he seems like a great guy, but. I mean, I don't think he's Max Verstappen competitive. I don't think he's Danny Rick competitive. So do you think that Albon was using what we can just colloquially call engine mode 11, which was a fun <laughs> topic of a converse, of an article I read the other a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, where Pierre Gasly was asked about Max Verstappen talking about engine mode 11. <laughs> and Gasly was like, I never used that mode when I worked for Red Bull. Oh, yeah, sure. And you pointed out to me during the race that Albon, in a hurry, Made yeah. up a whole bunch of time. So what's going on at Red Bull? He, it's just Albon gained on Danny Ricardo so quickly. Within just a few laps, he went from 
two three seconds behind, which is a decent which is a decent trail, um, to overtake him and then to supersede him by another two three seconds by the end of the race, and just like that was a lot of speed out of seemingly nowhere. So like, Red Bull was he, they were one of the original protesters to Mercedes party mode, which for those who don't know it, it was an extra engine mode that they would break out for the qualifying laps to, you know, it just made juice them the faster. Engine. Yeah. The way everybody <laughs> bitched about Ferrari, they just juiced the engine for exactly. qualifying. Yeah, just for qualifying. Um, but it seems very Christian Horner-ish, the team principal for Red Bull, to not have gotten rid of that engine mode and then to see like a five, six second increase over a few laps to overtake uh, Daniel Ricciardo for third. You know, it's a little bit of hearsay, but uh, it seems right up Christian well, Horner's yeah, alley. It's speculative. It's yeah. speculative, but, like, we have the history with Verstappen having talked about this engine mode mm-hmm. and Gasly being like, I don't really know what you're talking about, yeah. but also saying, I don't want to talk about this. Right. Whatever <laughs> whatever this is, I don't want to talk about the it, Classic Pierre. Classic cannot confirm nor deny scenario. Now, how much do you think Ricciardo, though, got fucked over by the fact that the safety cars came out? Yeah, I mean, on the second safety car, the second start, he really did get screwed because he had a good, he had a good two, three second lead on Albon, and then they got the red flag and they started, um, and then Albon that that safety car just raced it, so that really closed the gap and made it within grasp for for Albon's overtake and which he did, unfortunately. It certainly got Alex. Close enough. I think you and I yeah. would both agree. In the ether, the Red Bull car is better than the Renault. Yeah, it is. I mean, most things are better than the Renault, except maybe the Ferrari and the Alpha. But they've been improving. They they did really good this race compared to, I mean, a couple races into the season. They're going into their 10th now, but only a few races into the season. They were towards the bottom for a while. Oh, yeah. They've made a ton of gains, especially you yeah. know, when you compare it to ferrari and others that have made no gains whatsoever with haas over the season right red bull and renault in particular have continued to improve exactly so what do you think renault is going to do coming up right i mean they have to regret a little bit losing danny rick to mclaren that's not a good thing for them he's a popular driver he's super successful he's obviously very talented exactly and it, it was just an interesting um aspect to to dig into this week where Renault, they're obviously getting um, Fernando Alonso when they turn into Alpine, the, uh, I don't want to call him boutique, but small performance French car of probably the 60s and 70s. Um, but Zach Brown, he he originally wanted Danny Ricardo a couple of seasons ago, and when Danny Ricardo was leaving Red Bull. Now, McLaren, that was probably one of the worst seasons for McLaren so Danny Ricardo was very hesitant but he told Zach you know these are the these are the things you guys need to solve for me to come there you need uh, better R&D a new team principal new race engineer and Zach Brown said I'm, I'm a man of my word I'm gonna get it done and this past season he did and so Danny Ricardo he saw that he saw that Zach Brown I mean to his credit I'm not a Zach Brown fan he's the only <laughs> American um See, I like him. I like his spirit. He's a spunky guy. He knows he's in a, he's in a European sport as an American, and he says yeah. what he thinks. He's definitely he's definitely fighting for his position, you know, being in a heavily European sport. So I give him full credit for that. But he he did the things he said he would do to get Danny Ricardo, and then uh, Ricardo he he saw it and he's like, okay, let's go. 
So next season, Danny will be racing for McLaren. And do you, think that, do you think that's a step up for him? Do you think this is Danny's made an improvement here, or do you think this is a mistake leaving Renault? And see, that's that is a good question because Renault's been improving. I mean, they've been they've been coming in fourth, fifth, sixth, um, and McLaren. They've been mixing with McLaren, so I don't know. I would say like let's wait for the end of the season to see where they each end up. Um, McLaren did get uh, on the podium once or twice this season so far, so. Yeah, when Gasly won, Sainz yeah. was right there. A couple more laps, and Carlos would have brought that home. Yeah. And that's the reason, for anybody who's not aware of it, that Danny has this ride with McLaren, is that Sainz is going to replace Vettel at Ferrari. And so that that's going to, one, make Ferrari really super interesting, especially because the car will still be awful. <laughs> and then, you know, to get Sainz and Leclerc, both young drivers, racing together, shift Sebastian Vettel over to Racing Point as of the last week. Yeah. Um, and, and then put Danny on McLaren. I mean, you've got a whole bunch of really talented young drivers with, in what should not, frankly, be competitive cars. A Ferrari should be better than the McLaren. It should be better than the Renault, but it's not going to be. Exactly. No, so it's you're, you're going to have some excellent midfield racing. Yeah, and then next year um, when the t- the spending caps come in, um, things are going to – everybody's sticking with the same car, so then they're restricted on research and development, time in the wind tunnels, all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be very similar to this season, but the real the real genius is going to shine with what they can do with minor minor modifications to the cars, um, which so far Renault has made huge strides in this season. Well, to me, it just seems like Renault and McLaren and both have sort of followed the path that Racing Point and Mercedes laid out. They have improved the car in the right way. So right. the modest adjustments you make, you get tangible results on the track. Right, and then you have the problem of all the Ferrari-powered engines, yeah, no, exactly. which is they have gone the wrong way, and there is no modest adjustment to improve. You know, So frankly, I think next year you could end up seeing Renault and McLaren sort of leave Ferrari behind. Oh yeah, no, exactly. And it's it's a excellent comparison of just like what, what the right approach to do is just generally improve the car versus just cheat your way to the top. Agree to disagree <laughs> on the. Chip. I will go to my grave. Hey, Ferrari, Ferrari was competitive uh, for second and first for a while last season, and then they got called out for it. maybe confirm or deny cheating. Um, well, but we'll put it like this: they certainly uh, took liberties with what the regulations maybe allowed yeah. and required, much like Lewis Hamilton shirt, the FIA <laughs> to come in and clarify what is permissible or not. But look where it got them this season and next season. Uh, that's true, but it did introduce us all to how good Charles Leclerc is yeah, going I mean, forward he, in the future. He, he won podium and a turd. Yeah, he's, that's become his specialty, <laughs> is driving the worst car in the field somehow into decent positions, whereas Sebastian Vettel can't keep it straight for a single lap. So that brings us to another piece of news yes. this week. That so big, big breaking thing about like uh, three weeks ago um, is Williams. Williams who has been a Formula One staple since the 70s, uh, sold just lock, stock, and key to a an American company by the name of Doralton Capital for $179.5 million, which, frankly, uh, for Williams, they've been, they've been trailing, actually, probably in the last, for the last couple of seasons. They've been having a hard time. So I think that's probably a fair offer. I was going to say, I think it's cheap. I think it's cheap for the branding that F1 gets You think $180 million is cheap now? It's, it's cheap <laughs> compared to a lot of major sports leagues in the United States. You that's never get into anything yeah. for that sort of price. So yeah, I, but who wants to buy F1 the last? Team? Who wants to buy the last place team? They're getting better. They have George Russell, who's a good driver. Williams, Williams is on the up. 
they were way down, so it's a long way. Yeah, up. it's like Everest Base Camp to Camp One. But exactly. It's it it is a doable thing. So I thought that was a little cheap, but you know that is what they paid. We should also say, kind of upfront, early in this segment, that some of the articles written about this have suggested the litigious nature of Dor- who is behind Doralton Capital. Oh yeah. And we're going to spend some time talking about that with a little bit more caution than maybe we have approached other things in this episode. Just because it seems unnecessarily litigious by people who bought into a very public sport. And it's unclear why you would be so aggressively quiet. Exactly. It's just super, um, super off course for, for purchasers of a Formula One team to be in the Formula One sport. Um, so we're just going to say that, uh, in no way do we imply or suggest any one person's involvement or ownership of an F1 team. We're just going to tell you what the news has been on this yeah. topic and sort of talk in general about Williams, which was, you know, a great, it is a great brand in F1. It's been around since 1977. They won nine World Constructors Championships and seven Driver Championships. The team had always been managed by the family itself, which is why this is such big news in F1. Claire Williams ran the team until, I think, just this past week she stepped down. I think maybe two races ago. And yeah, she quit before Mugello. Yeah. But but she was there the week before. Yeah, for Monza. And so she has stepped away from the team, and that's why it's coming to a head who is really in charge of this thing now. Right. Because if Claire was still there, then it wouldn't really matter who owned Doralton Capital. But now that we don't have a team manager, we don't know who's really in charge. Yeah. So it's... and. Forbes, a Forbes contributor by the name of Will Nickel, he wrote a phenomenal article, and he took a real deep dive into who actually owns Williams, um, and to really, this is a great article for anybody interested in the sport. Um, I have to does, say, it's not the most well-written article I've ever seen. No, it's it's very confusing, um, really hard to follow, but if you All can All the details follow, are there. Yeah, no, the details are there, the The framework is there. If you can, if you can make it through the article by understanding a lot of it then you'll see how like the new owners darlton are unnecessarily sketchy yeah that is a polite way of putting it (laughs) it sounds as if they have rounded their business ownership through as many shell companies as humanly possible scattered around the world right so yeah in summation of what what we found out is through various public filings extremely vetted communications with a potentially or not potentially connected individual's lawyer and some help from an anonymous insider, Nickel drew connections between an impressively surreptitious global web of rare earth mining, automotive sector, and R&D companies and shell corporations with wealthy businessmen and motorsport enthusiasts, whom one of them includes Nicholas Latifi, one of Williams' drivers, his own father, who owns a 10% stake in McLaren itself. Which, we should note, is not all that uncommon in F1, yeah, since I mean, Lawrence Stroll yeah. owns Racing Point. And his son Lance Stroll drives for it. And bought his car from Mercedes. Bought is a, is a good term. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that seems to be what's happening. We have that pending before the Court of Arbitration of yeah. Sports, so we'll find out someday just how much the exactly. Racing Point is the Mercedes. You know, billionaires gonna do what billionaires gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just a whole lot sort of hiding behind... The, the, the name that is Williams that we all love in F1. I mean, at least I personally see them as sort of my second favorite team. I hope that they are successful. Just because of their purity in history. 
Yeah, and that, and I think that's the problem with it, right? Uh, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's the fact that it was the one team where you really understood everything about it. You knew where it came from. You knew what they believed in. Even yeah. though they were on hard times, they were trying to get better the right way. And you've taken that pure element and really put the biggest Just, black cloud it, It's like you threw it into the dark web. Yeah, I mean, and like F1 is secretive. We all know that. It happens all the time, but not like that. Yeah, and not, not with that tr- quick juxtaposition between the two na- the two teams. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's like they took, yeah, I mean, like the cheating and the backstabbing was always sort of in the background, but like this is just making it a corporatist takeover type situation. But also, what are you hiding? Whoever yeah. is behind it. Why, why, why are you hiding? hiding? Yeah. Like, are you ashamed that you own What are you hiding? Tell us. What are you hiding? Do you not have the money to yeah. do it properly? Uh, I think what, they have what, the money. But, like, what is the point of hiding behind it? You yeah, bought I, the team for a reason. It just doesn't make sense. And there were there were several, get out your uh, your red yarn and prepare to pin up some lines. But there were, like, connections with La Gazzetta della Sporto in Italy. Um, one of the actresses from Crazy Rich Asians to, yeah, these rare earth mining companies, uh, automotive sector companies so like a lot of connections to be made whether there's something fruitful or not but uh it was it was like a global web of of organizations it just seems wildly unnecessary to me like completely you, i'm you, sure it's not necessary if you're the individual behind that company or individuals in a conglomerate behind that company are you not going to go to a race yeah freaking own like it. everybody's going to see you yeah if you're like there all the time it's like i'm a huge f1 fan I bet you are, because you own a team. Oh, yeah. Are you at the race? No. Oh, why is he in the pit garage? Oh, I paid for access. Yeah, I bet you did pay for access. Like, what? Like, this is just so stupid. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that is Matt's hot take for the day about Williams and the idiocy of whoever has decided to purchase it. Yeah, just just off to a, off to a bad start. Poor form. So, the last thing we want to talk about before turning to do a little race recap and conversation slash fight over what happened... And in Italy in the second race there, which is awesome, by the way. I'm so happy they went back to Miguelo. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Is kind of the new F1 rules around new teams. Yeah. Because so... Haas was on the fence about staying, right, until the new Concord agreement was signed. <laughs> Haas was unclear if they were going to be in. You see some turnovers. You keep, every once in a while, you read these articles about whether Mercedes is going to stay in or not. And it, to me, I read this new development as an F1 is trying to lock in the teams that it has. Yeah. So that it's harder to leave and making it a benefit to them for staying is making it harder for new teams to join by requiring new team entrants to pay $200 million, not to self-fund the team, but right. just to enter the league. Just to, to enter just the league. Just give a cut of the money to everybody to be, who's there. Just to be a, a, rate, a constructor in Formula One, $200 million price tag for new entrants, which... It seems steep, and you know, all the people, Toto it's Wolf. It's more than the team, Williams team cost. Yeah. Uh, like Toto Wolf, team principal of Mercedes, is like, oh, this this puts a, a standard value on Formula One teams. But, like, does it, though? Like, if anything, just more mergers and acquisitions of, you know, sketchy organizations buying companies yeah, or buying teams. It doesn't really, to me, it doesn't tell you anything about what an F1 team yeah. is worth. It's yeah. just an artificial cost on right. new entrants. It's an arbitrary price tag on on. Something for enthusiasts. Because paying the two hundred million doesn't get you anything enough. When it gets you in the door, and then you have to do all the R and D, all the development, another five hundred million. Yeah. Like it's what do you? The two hundred million is just a a random number that FIA has picked out. Exactly. Sort of. Well, not FIA, and so like it was part of the Concord Agreement, so all the teams decided that. I'm going to put it on the FIA. Yeah, they they let it slide. 
I mean, it's like they don't want anybody new in F1. Exactly. And I don't understand that. Which is which is weird because Honda was a racing team up until, I think it was like 2015 or 2016. Um, then they left, but they still supply power units. Yeah, well, and they're Red, good. Red yeah. Bull's doing great. Except for Max Verstappen. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, they actually do supply pretty good power units. Um, so what what is FIA's intent, or what is, like, the Formula One team owner and team's intent with that i don't see i don't buy there it sets a it sets a a price for entrance into the sport i don't buy that um so we'll just see how it develops over the coming seasons do you think anybody will pay it sure the world's full of billionaires what's 200 well who do you think is going to do it or how many years you think i'll put it like this how many years you think we'll have to wait to see somebody pay the 200 million to jump into the league fresh. Two, three tops. You have a prediction on which manufacturer will be? I, I actually I saw the headline, um, and I didn't dive into the article, but there was somebody who was thinking about doing it next season, and then the it was like, oh, is he still going to do it? And the answer was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Simply put, yes. Short answer, if you're rich enough to have an exactly. F1 team, the $200 million is not a bad yeah, Billionaire's going to do what billionaire's <laughs> going to do. Like, so... Now to the next segment, the race recap and conversation about them. So, the race this past weekend was held at Mugello, which is in Tuscany, Italy. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. The senior was great. It was an exciting track. 59-lap race. First time they've been there in I don't know how long, but it's been it's been quite some time. I, th- I think it's been more than 20 years since yeah, they've been there. Yeah, it's been a really long time. Uh, it was It's known for its sweeping turns. The racers are pulling up to five G's in some of those corners, so that's like, that's super tenuous. And this was at least what a double header, if not a triple header. So I think this was the back end of the triple header. Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot for the drivers. Uh, but uh, from all accounts, the drivers were super stoked to to be racing this. Um, it had one long straight, and that was off the the start and finish line. And that one long straight was the best and really only overtake spot yeah, for the drivers you didn't see much passing in the race other than with drs assistance down the stretch there wasn't much in the corners it was kind of a hilly track to me it there seemed was, like there was a lot of good hills along yeah the um, turn. yeah exactly it had a lot of vertical um variation and i did see a couple overtakes uh, on that first turn because the first turn i think was the widest right so getting the drs down the straight mm-hmm. into the first corner you could sort of lunge in there and make exactly. something stick it had wide curbs with grass and gravel runoffs really right up to um and a close crash barrier so it was it was really compared to some of the typical or newer formula one tracks uh it was rustic it was old school yeah old exactly school. and the gravel runoffs in the race too were, were interesting at least by my standards because it wasn't the normal gravel runoffs we see at tracks where the driver can kind of grind along and get back going exactly or they stop in dead place you just you were done like if you ran into that gravel there was no getting out of it yeah and we saw that too in one of the replays when Verstappen went off he tried to drive out of it and just flung gravel all over himself all over the car like it was done he just dug himself six inches further and then cut it off yeah and it had an unexpected impact on the race to me you had i think longer safety cars as a result because it's not it's not as easy to get the car out of there it's not as easy to get to it and I, I kind of liked it. Oh, it made I the mean, race better, Exactly. Honestly. Just the novelty of the track and the unfamiliarity amongst the drivers. I'm sure they had the three practice sessions qualifying to get used to it. But, you know, come race time, they hadn't done this for 20 years. So a lot of jitters, 
and all accounts of the driver saying if you make a mistake you're going off or you're spinning or something so you had to be perfect every lap um, if you wanted to compete it is a track that I would heavily suggest that they go back to. Oh, yeah. Especially with fans. Yeah. Uh, especially once Ferrari doesn't suck. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it should be good. I would love for them to go back. But, again, when we cover the happenings or the goings-on of the race, um, I think it's questionable whether FIA actually does return to it, at least regularly. So, on to the race conditions. It's a warm day in Tuscany, uh, so you're expecting the the tarmac to be hot heavily affecting the tire wear it was an estimated two-stop strategy for i think all of the teams uh i think everybody stopped twice yeah in the race i don't think there was anybody who one stopped it nobody some, one stopped some people sure. stopped i think there might have been a couple three stops I think in so. there um and then there's a strong headwind down the starting straight and going into the first corner so what that does it makes the p1 position first place position difficult to accelerate right off the line off the starting uh, and to corner at speed uh, really affects your downforce if you're fighting the wind. And then it really, really benefits uh, P2 through P4 because they're right behind them. And they just get to ride that slipstream. P1's breaking the wind, and P2 through 4 are just doing their best to, to move on up. And honestly, you saw this in the race the most, to me, through Leclerc, whose car had nothing like the speed of the Mercedes or anybody else, but he ran P3 for a while. And he pulled alongside Hamilton going into turn one yeah. on one of the restarts, which is just abs bonkers yeah. given the current state exactly. of affairs. But the toe down through there was huge. Mm. It was uh, before we kind of get into the actual race details, we should cover the fact that Max Verstappen had more trouble to start the race this week right up front. That's true, yeah. Um, so yeah so they've, there's been some finicky issues around Red Bull's power unit in the last two weeks in particular. And this week... He sort of sprung on Max, not not in a good way. No. But although he, he qualified well, things looked like they were going exactly. well for the weekend, he kind of gets right up to the race start and his power unit craps yeah, out. Yeah, exactly, which furthers my, uh, my quote-unquote conspiracy theory for Red Bull uh, having an extra engine mode is that it was a software issue. Um, you know, not that the engine didn't blow up, but it was a power unit issue. So, like, why was Albon's good and his not? Yeah. And why was it a software issue and not a... Yeah, what did they do to Max's power unit software exactly. in between qualifying right. and the race? When to you were not to issue? touch the car. <laughs> like, there's just no real explanation for that. Exactly. And so reading up to the race start, Red Bull took the position that everything was fine and they had fixed it and things were going to be yeah. okay. I mean, the engineers were, they were on the tarmac. The car was in starting position. They were just blowing. You can see that... Just blowing dry ice all over the engine, trying to, trying to cool it down, um, up Which until the race start. Yeah, didn't didn't did not work out did, as we're going to see. Yeah. So they lined up on the grid for the race start with Hamilton on pole, Bottas uh, alongside him on the first row, and Verstappen was P three, so he should have been perfectly positioned for yeah. all this. On the start, Bottas got away great. Yeah, he overtook which, Hamilton, which really helped. Got him right out in front of Hamilton, which we've seen in the pretty much the entire season. If Hamilton gets away first, the race is essentially over. Exactly. Nothing happens. Yes. Max was right there. If you go back and watch the start of that race, Verstappen is great start. right next to Hamilton. Yep, he had a great start. <laughs> and then his car just fell out from under him. And then you hear him over the radio, where's the power? I need power. And then just he's just drops back into the, the late half of, or the second half of the grid. And then 
yeah, we all lost sight of him. At least I did. Watch the race. Like, where did he go? Yeah. Like, who's right? Because you kind of kind of get into the race. You're about corners three or four. You start to have this uh, chain effect, right? And it everybody's was, falling apart. It was a hell of a chain. So what happens is Carlos Sainz, driver for McLaren, he spins out after making contact with uh, Lance Stroll of Racing Point, and then he just, just does a spin right in the middle of everybody. And then Stroll goes into the gravel, I believe, and then Signs facing the other way, gets clipped by Vettel, who breaks racer for Ferrari, breaks his front wing, and he actually does a great job of mitigating the situation and finishes the lap and goes in for yeah, a new front wing. Yeah, he goes and gets a new front wing. Things yeah. are okay for him. I mean, it's okay as they're going to be. Exactly. So immediately after this, or frankly, even while it's going on, at the same time, Pierre Gasly and Kimi Raikkonen, Gasly for... AlphaTauri, which is a Red Bull subsidiary team. It's like the B team. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Kimi Raikkonen, two-time world champion, um, driving for Alfa Romeo. They make contact. Kimi just gets launched into the air. Um, Gasly goes right into Max's, just full speed, right into Max, Max Verstappen's rear end. And Grosjean gets tangled up, and they all just go into the gravel, ultimately into the barrier. Max, as we discussed earlier, he's stuck in the gravel. Gasly's out of the race. Uh, safety car is out to clear the track. I mean, it's funny because looking at Max, you got like, look, he's not my favorite driver. You're gonna hear me say this a lot in this podcast. I respect him. He does a great job. He's absolutely world class. I don't care for him a ton. I don't really mind seeing him wreck out of the race. He had in his defense. He had no idea what's coming. I mean, his car was trash. Yeah. He's like yelling on the radio because his power units essentially quit on him in the middle of all of this. Exactly. I mean, it was just really the same as just getting rear-ended in traffic. Yeah, and he just like gets plowed, into, <laughs> thrown out into the middle of nowhere. Just like, what am I supposed to do? And then yeah. he spins his tires while he's out there, sort of like, okay, we're gonna try to get going again. And nope, no, absolutely he not. Sinks six inches further. And Grosjean is just complaining about everything all the time because that's just his nature. Yeah. Which, for the record, he drives for Haas. In case anybody has forgotten, don't know how you could. It's not great. He's 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 probably he's also one of my least favorite drivers. Yeah. I think, in the entire it's just, sport, you know, it's hard to like him. So essentially, the race isn't even all Apple, and you have a safety car out, and it goes two cars out for like four or five laps, kind of clearing all that, maybe all the way to lap seven, clearing all the debris. Trying to get the cars out of the gravel. Yeah. And so the safety car is pulling up. They're going along that main straight, um, that main starting straight. Safety car pulls in. Bottas is leading. And he's, they're all, they're all doing the swervy thing, trying to keep their tires warm. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep their tire temperatures up, get them more grip. Um, and Botas does nothing wrong. Let's be clear about this. To me, Botas did absolutely nothing wrong. I think others would argue differently, but yes, especially by the rules, he he is fine to do. He's just swerving, basically taking up the entire track length width um, to keep Hamilton at bay. And so, technically, by the rules, when the safety car goes into the pit lane, you are cleared to race. And so you're you're cleared to be clear because we're going to disagree on this. You are cleared to race. It does not mean you may race. Right. It means the driver at the front of the field <laughs> may go anytime he wants before the line. Exactly. I mean, it's it's what eighteen cars at this point that are that are within inches of each other, wildly swerving to keep their temperatures up. So you know, it's it's like a beehive on the track right now, and it's you know, like you see a, a green a yellow flashing light turn into a green flashing light, and at the back or in the mid range, you're like, okay, time to race, floor it. 
And then what happens is a several car pile up. I mean, one car, whose car That's was a, it? What a, what a nice way of putting that. Yeah. To pile up. It's not like they didn't just plow into each other. No. It, I mean, what? Si- was it Science that Science. got launched? Yeah. So Carlos Science, Kevin Magnuson, Nicholas Latifi, Giovinazzi. You know, it's not clear from the replays that were showed during the race who it was. I went back and watched it in slow motion. The first driver who I think makes the error here is Giovinazzi. So, at the, as Josh said, at the front of the race, Botas is going nowhere. Yeah. He is essentially slowing down. Sort Intentionally of fucking with down. Hamilton, so yeah. Hamilton can't get any sort of jump because Botas knows he's screwed going into turn one. Yes, he just is. It was a headwind. There's no way for him to do this. So he plays his cards right. He goes at the line, and to be clear, he hammers Hamilton. Hamilton is left behind. Yep. He didn't expect it. Exactly. Like, as soon as Hamilton, time. as soon as he took his foot off the gas, Botas was off, and it, it was beautiful. Perfect timing. I mean, it was flawless. Giovinazzi. And I will come back to why this is in his defense. I do actually have a defense for him. But he just floors it at the back of the field <laughs> well, long before Botas goes. I mean, the rest of the traffic is just moving at their safety car pace. And because of the sort of accordion effect you get when people are on the brakes, the people in the middle of the field are literally not moving. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're going 50 miles an hour. They're like stopped dead. And Giovinazzi just plows into them. <laughs> And so, so he flies up in the air. Sainz sees Giovinazzi going, so he takes off and also plows into everybody. Yeah. So Nicholas Latifi just gets drilled. Kevin Magnuson takes it really bad, just gets hammered. It, no fault to Kevin. He's yeah. just there. I mean, it's really Sainz and Giovinazzi, to me, who made this mistake. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, Botas was clearly one going slow. And everybody complained about it. Grosjean was on the radio in particular complaining about it. I don't buy that. I think everybody else is responsible to go at whatever speed Botas wants to go. He's leading the race. It's his call. The only thing that you could say here is that the FIA fucked it up. Yeah. Because the way the track is set up is you have boards showing whether or not the race is on green or yellow lights. Which you can see it at the front at the same time as you can see it at the back. So if you see it at the back, green, you're going. You're off. Because you're at the back. You want to get to the front, obviously. And the FIA set them off when the safety car went down the pit road. They did not wait until Botas actually went or until he crossed the start-finish line. They just had them flashing green. And so in defense of the drivers at the back who can't see Valtteri, they might have thought the race was on. Now, again, nobody in front of them was moving. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, you should see that. Like, as you accelerated and not one other soul was accelerating, you should know. Yeah. So, I, don't, you, know, I, you know, frankly, I blame, at the end of the day, even talking about it now, I blame Giovinazzi, exactly. I blame Carlos. You're just driving into a wall, and you should see that wall. You know, you're, you're essentially in a missile. That is what an F1 car yeah. is. They steer like shit. They are Probably unbelievably fast. Probably a more expensive fast. missile, yeah. You can't just hammer the gas. No. You have to know. And they didn't know, and they took four of them out of the race. Yeah, I bet, I bet Alpha's pretty pissed. And it was really dangerous. Yeah. I mean, actually, of all the wrecks I've seen this year, to that, me, that, was the worst. that and when Charles crashed into the wall, like, headfirst last race. Oh, he was fine. But, like, it looked bad. It, it was a bad, bad wreck. Yeah. But this really was, especially for Latifi and Magnuson, who had not done anything wrong. Like, that's, to be yeah, just I mean, run like, there over. Was, there were so many innocent victims, or if you... If you uh, allow me, uh, collateral damage um, <laughs> um, in this race. Uh, that I mean, that was probably two-thirds of, two-thirds of the casualties was just collateral damage. 
And it, it was about an hour and a half into the race by the time this got cleaned up. Probably an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, so races are normally like hour 15, hour 30 tops. This was a two and a half hour race. Yeah, I mean, so it took they had to red flag the race to Twice. try to get the debris off the track. It was it was a disaster. Yeah. But they do eventually get it started up again. Exactly. So, yeah, um, during a red flag, everybody pulls into the pit lanes. All the team crews come out. They do what they can. They are allowed to change tires. They're allowed to change parts with... FIA supervision it has to be literal part for part no no funny stuff um, so a lot of teams are doing some things funny stuff like the day Red Bull brought out leaf blowers to dry the track under the car in the rain yeah I would qualify that which somehow wasn't penalized yeah, just saying it's a hot take <laughs> just I'll, saying I'll allow it I will allow it um, so yeah the race starts up again Bottas gets another great start uh, beats Hamilton off the line um but I think it was like the within the first four corners, Hamilton just passes him on the outside because Hamilton, credit to and frankly, I, I like Valtteri Bottas a lot too. He is a great driver, but when you're going against Hamilton, Hamilton is the best driver of our generation so far. So far. I mean, he just destroyed him. Yeah. He t- I mean, he yeah. picked him up in a heartbeat and just left him behind. Yeah, with an outside pass. I mean, that was great. Um, so, yeah. Like, that was basically the summation. That was the highlight of the restart. Um, and frankly, it was the highlight of the front end of the race. Yeah. I mean, like, so many races this year, Mercedes dominance, and in particular, Hamilton's dominance, it, first place isn't really where the race is in F1 right now. Correct. And so, yeah, there's a lot of drama, a lot of a lot of goings-on in the midfield, um, which, you know, it, it makes for exciting Formula One. Some would argue that it's, it's more exciting when you're battling for first, but you know what? Mercedes, did, they put in the time and the money. Yeah, so you wind up with a nice nice scrap in the midfield. Mm-hmm. You had Racing Point involved, yeah. you had Renault involved, exactly, you had Red yeah. Bull involved as Albon climbed up. I mean, this is where, as we talked about earlier, Danny Rick really shined right yeah. here in the middle of the race. This is this is just good Formula One racing because there was a battle between Lance Stroll and Danny Ricardo. They were battling for third. Uh, Lance Stroll started off, he took third. Danny Stroll... Danny ends up taking third, then Albon. He's he's probably lower mid. I think maybe ninth through seven. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere around there. there. And he's just climbing, climbing past his Vettel. I think he passes Leclerc too. Um, so just he's, screams past Charles. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, turd on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> um, so by lap forty four, Stroll, Lance Stroll, driver for Racing Point, he crashes out. He just goes straight into the barrier. I think it was like his brakes caught on fire or something like that. I think he, he might have gotten a puncture in his brakes. That's, no, it was a puncture. Ocon had the uh, Ocon, other driver for Renault. Ocon had the brake fire. Stroll, puncture, went right into the wall. Um, red flag again because during a red flag, they do a red flag because one of the barriers or some sort of significant safety apparatus on the track has to be rebuilt uh, or replaced. So, yeah, you see all the Italian crewmen. It was actually pretty funny, just <laughs> screaming at each other. Uh, and then the car catches fire while they're picking it up with the um, digger. And they're just screaming at each other as it's catching on fire and then spraying it down. Classic Italian fashion. Um, it was a clusterfuck, to yeah. put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, but, but Lance, you know, he was fine. Uh, so, that causes the second... Red flag, all Which, the cars back in the pit lane. Interesting note, it's only the second time in F1 history that you've had two red flags in a race. Yeah, so super impressive, uh, which is 
frankly, I think why we need to do Magellan more. I may suggest why they don't. Thrilling, <laughs> thrilling race. Um, so they all go back in the pit lane, then they all line up for a new, a new start, and off that start, Bottas gets a, a slightly worse start, which, you know, he's been pretty good off, off the line the past couple races. Danny Ricardo in third, he passes Valtteri Bottas in his Renault, Bottas is driving Mercedes, passes it, takes second, uh, but then, you know, abruptly, Bottas takes it back. Yeah, I mean, Botas can, we've seen this in other races, he can be slow off the line. Like, yes. He can sometimes be a little quick when he false started <laughs> and somehow wasn't called on it. Hey, that's just, the yeah. Mercedes benefit. Yeah, that's another, you know, that's a, that's another topic of debate. Well, in a previous race, Valtteri, yeah, he jumped the line a little bit, but apparently, according to FIA, there are number one sensors that will notify when somebody's out of starting tolerance. Um, and Or your Mercedes, and it's fine, and we'll just let you cheat. Oh, come on. I mean, let's just be serious. It seems like, what is it? He, he falls started a race. That's not a thing. No, he was within, there's a tolerance, and he was within that tolerance. There's a tolerance to false starts. <laughs> so, Valtteri also can be prone to sort of, how do we want to put this mildly, missing it. He does miss it sometimes. <laughs> like, maybe he didn't quite notice that the lights went out. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of happened to him here, right? I mean, like, it's not like he just had a yeah. bad start in the Mercedes. He I just mean, didn't go anywhere. He No, he, it took him, you know, fraction of a second but fraction of a second of course in a sport like this is a mile um so danny just straight on takes off takes him over which is exciting because all of us who love danny rick we think we might get a you know a real high podium place out of him yeah and which we were praying that uh danny ricardo and the renault team principal uh cyril abitbol well well pronounced that's my best you know i don't know Uh, i speak french but i don't i don't know that French. <laughs> There's too many letters in this name. <laughs> um, so they, they have a, a bet going on where if Danny Ricardo gets podium by the end of the season, Cyril is going to tattoo, I think it's Danny's name, on his body somewhere. Um, yes, and, and Danny was almost there. But the Mercedes is too good. I mean, nobody expected Danny to stay in front of both of us. I mean, yeah. like, the cars are just not matched. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, we were all pulling for Danny to take that third. So then Albon, he falls to fourth. Um, after Perez passes him, and so there's like a little a little duel between Albon and Perez, and Perez just couldn't take it back from Albon in the end. Yeah, he couldn't. And you know, Sergio Perez, it takes, we can talk about this in a later week, is sort of on the outs right now. He's the one who's going to be replaced by Vettel, racing points. So in a sense, right up there with Danny Rick, it would have been nice to see Perez yeah. kind of pull something out. But Albon gets in front of him. He does. And, you know, look, Albon, I'll give him the credit that he is maybe due, which is he... Debatable. He, he drove the Red Bull the way that you would expect Max Verstappen to drive. He did, he did. And he got over. it to where it needed to be, just where you would have expected exactly. Max to be. And so Albon gets to fourth, and he just sets off yeah, for he Danny just, and He third. just closes that gap, you know, he turns the engine up to 11, quote-unquote 11. <laughs> and, A little spinal tap. Yeah, and... Albon overtakes Danny at lap 51, so you got eight laps left. And so, really, Albon just passes Danny. Danny, I think his tires are fading at this point. Uh, and Albon, he's got those fresher mediums, so he's got some speed on it. Danny's just pushing him, pushing him, trying to get him to make a mistake because, you know, he's he's a, a newbie puss at this stage. <laughs> and so he's just trying to hope he fucks up. It just doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen, no. And Albon really settles in. And, you know, credit to him, he didn't choke. 
and he actually took it home to podium. Yeah, I mean, he, he drove the, he drove it well. I mean, I got to yeah. give him credit. He brought it in. He got some nice uh, props from Hamilton yeah. on his finally getting a podium since Hamilton had deprived him of exactly. it twice his, before. His first podium, yeah. You know, I mean, I, look, I have nothing against Alex. I'm happy for him that he got the podium. I question why all of a sudden he's able to drive the Red Bull third when before just, he can't yeah. get it out of eighth no matter it what track they're so on. It was just so odd that, you know, all of a sudden he gets this ridiculous speed to catch up and overtake and surpass by about three seconds put it like this either it's one of two things either max Verstappen is so in alex's head that he just can't fucking race with max on the track but that's definitely a factor <laughs> or the, they give him a brand new engine mode when max isn't on the track yeah i mean and all like, of a sudden he gets max's car on. and it's so typical of christian horner um, to be like, oh, look at look at Mercedes in their party mode, engine engine mode. Like, you know, there's something totally wrong. We need to make these rules against it. Let's not get rid of ours, though. Well, and he's nobody's cried harder about Ferrari's engine than Horner. Yeah. I mean, like, let me talk about, like, oh, boo-hoo, they were better <laughs> than us. That's Christian Horner. I mean, even Total Wolf hasn't complained like that of Ferrari. I know, no, Toto hasn't. And Christian Horner's like, oh, well, you know, he, he regularly brings it up. We're like, oh, well, you know, the settlement between FIA and Ferrari, it's still sealed, but, you know, can't wait till till those files are um, released. Yeah, to see how they just were, they just pursued an angle that nobody expected them to pursue. That is the Italian genius of Ferrari. I think that's just the Italian way. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're just in it You can say the same thing about Lancia and Rally in the 80s. All we're trying to do is win, and we should all want that. Anyway, guys, thank gang gals. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. I uh, hope you guys like it. Please send us feedback, like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. We'll uh, drop all the social media-related information and a way to contact us in yeah. the sort of text box below this thing. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to record our podcast recordings and then we're going to also do race real-time commentary as well you know get some hot takes as they happen we're moving towards video we are we're, we're, we're slow exactly you're gonna have to bear with us but we're, we're gonna pursue the live race on twitch if that's something people would be interested uh, in yeah totally um so yeah stay tuned for the next episode and let we're, us know if you want to take a deep dive into it. exactly yeah any any aspect of the sport you don't quite understand or anything you want to find more about please send us that Send us any feedback, anything we're doing wrong, anything we're doing right. Um, let us know. Helps us make a better show. Helps make it more enjoyable for you as the viewer. Especially things we're doing right. I like hearing those. Yeah, yeah. he's got a big ego. You know, I'm used to getting beaten. Look, Ferrari sucks ass. That's why I watch the sport. I need something to keep me going. <laughs> it's a tough year. <laughs> it's going it's to be a tough couple of years. <laughs> Not for Mercedes. Anyway, this has been Matt and Josh, and welcome to the pit wall.